0: Folks as we were finalizing editing of this episode of the podcast on Wednesday night news was coming in about the active shooter incident in Lewiston Maine home of Bates College a division 3 school our thoughts are with that campus and that community and we hope for everyone's safety up in Bobcatland
1: football fans it's now time for the d3football.com around the nation podcast here are your hosts matt coleman
0: you have a very forceful handshake mr coleman
1: and
2: greg thomas
0: thank you greg that was interesting too there have been 50 seasons of division three football we've covered it for 25 we've had a podcast since 2007 it's the d3football.com around the nation podcast the only podcast directly from the folks at D3Football.com. We'll be here every week, all season, sometimes twice, because we live and breathe this stuff. I'm Patrick Coleman, the executive editor of D3Football.com.
1: I'm Greg Thomas. I write around the nation at D3Football.com. And, Pat, midweek, good time for a mock podcast, right? It's mock week. It's an actual podcast.
0: Mock ranking, actual conversation here in Season 17, Episode 14. Podcast 340, yeah, it dropped into your feed midweek and it will be dominated by a conversation with Matt Moore. Matt Moore is the head coach at the University of Northwestern St. Paul, which is in Roseville, Minnesota, and he is the chair of the Division III Football National Committee. Greg, we have an opportunity to chat with the person who is going to be kind of in the center of all of this, right? Very importantly for us, I think, give us a good... Sense of what the ground rules are this year.
1: Yeah, a lot of good, a lot of good questions coming up for our, our listeners, asked and answered by Matt Moore. Uh, we get to learn a little bit about, like you said, what the ground rules are. We we've had a couple of surprises in the last couple of years as we've talked to chairs after selection. It's kind of good to ask some of those questions before selection, I think, and get an idea, at least a point of reference of where to start and what to look for. Helps us as well as we talk about who's in good shape to make the playoffs, who might be ranked where, who might be seated where. Good for us to know sort of what the committees and the racks are looking at so that uh, we can be informed and help inform our listeners as well.
0: Yeah, we ask a good number of our questions. We ask a couple of your questions as well, and we will get to those coming up in just a couple of minutes. But before we do so, I think it's important to remind people that this edition of the D3 football.com around the nation podcast is sponsored by D3 photography.com. We talked in the last podcast, number three thirty-nine, about some of the places that they were this past Saturday. And you can look on d3photography.com to see where they've been, where they've been this season, how you can find photos of perhaps your favorite team in the course of the somewhere around 50 football games that they've covered with photographers so far here in
1: 2023. That's right, d3photography.com. They've been all over, Pat. Over 50 games, as you said, taking hundreds and hundreds of pictures. 50 games times the number of pictures they take per game. Got to be way into the thousands and thousands of pictures that they have taken of Division 3 football just this year. And if you're a fan and alum, student-athlete, you want to get stills of action from those games that that the D3Photography.com people have been at, check out those albums at D3Photography.com. And... If you see some things you like, don't be afraid to uh, drop a little promo code D3Football for those guys at d 3 photographycom That's going to get you 10% off of that order, Pat.
0: Yeah, you spell that code D, the number three, and then the word football. And I've definitely seen D3 Photography photos as profile photos on various social media platforms for a number of Division Three football student-athletes past and present. That's a good place to get them right from D3Photography.com. Thanks to D3Photography.com for sponsoring the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. So now with the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Matt Moore, the head coach at University of Northwestern. His team tied for first place, I guess, in the loss column in the UMAC. And also, of course, he is the national chair of the Division Three Football Committee, which is the major focus of why we're sitting down today for a special interview for a midweek podcast Coach, I appreciate you taking the time to let me just walk into your office, throw a bunch of electronics on the table, and have a chat. Yeah, absolutely, thanks for having me. I see, you've got notes in front of you, I've got notes in front of me. This will be good, we'll try to have the most educated possible sounding conversation for this, because for a lot of people, I think you know, this time of year, this is the first introduction to this sort of thing, right? Right. From our standpoint, we haven't really talked in depth about criteria with people, we've talked in general about what a pool is right Right. for people who don't know but division three is not easy it's like you don't just walk in from watching march madness and and understand how any division three selection process works
2: right yeah i think the misconception sometimes is people see like rankings and national rankings and things like that and they and they start to think well this team should be in or obviously this team is in and things like that and that's that's probably one of the bigger things that it's, you know, the national tournament tournament really, it's not a ranked tournament at the start of it. It's an automatic qualifier tournament um, at, at the heart of what it is. And so um, that's one of the first things people start to kind of look at and figure out and things like that. But there's a lot to it. Do you guys as a committee kind of feel
0: the crunch of having just now four at large bids to hand out?
2: I think so. I mean that's I mean realistically yes cuz the goal is can you get the best tournament possible out there. So and we know there's there's good qualified teams that might not make it when it comes down to there being only four and that's that's one of the reasons as you look to the future and things like that why why we want to try to expand that and try to have more teams so that we can get more at large bids and things like that.
0: I do know that there is A move underway to get to as many as 40 and that would certainly make the committee's process longer and more interesting but would uh, certainly allow for more teams to get into the field whenever that comes to us
2: yeah yeah that's 40 is the number there um there's a actually there's a proposal in governance right now trying to expand that um where hopefully that we can get that where we have those 40 teams um, in the playoffs, which would get us to the access ratio, right? You always hear that the NCAA, there's an access ratio that says, For however many teams there are that's how many teams should be in the postseason and things like that well football right now doesn't meet that access ratio and so that's that's at the heart of trying to expand the playoff bit it's not just trying to get the top teams in there but it's also trying to to meet the access ratio for everybody
0: right because we've been locked at 32 teams and not just by practice but actually by legislation which makes it a little more correct
2: correct it's one of those deals there's a lot of different things in the ncaa where there's a rule and then it says, accept football. And, and that's one yeah. of them where uh, football does not meet that access ratio right now. All right, so I'm gonna ask you some basic questions and then I'm
0: gonna ask you some kind of, just to know what the kind of ground rules are this year. Sometimes there are things that seem to change from year to year, but I'm just gonna ask right off the bat, Like we don't have any significant changes to the selection criteria or anything like that this year, right? Nope,
2: nope. same selection criteria that's been around for a while. All right. So
0: now I have a handful of questions that uh, some years we seem to do it some way and some years we seem to do it the other way. So this year's ground rules, when you guys are working as a national committee and you receive a ranking from the regional committee from the RAC, is the national committee allowed to change the order of that ranking?
2: Yeah. Yes. Is the, the short answer is yes. And, and really everything is driven by trying to be consistent within regions. And so the, for those who don't know, there's a regional advisory committee in, and there's six regions across the country for football. So used to be four, now it's been, now it's six, which, um, which is interesting. But, and there's one um, national committee member from each region. Well, these, each of these regions, we call them RACs, right? The regional advisory committee. Each of those racks there's a member from every conference in that region that serves on that rack right. and they take care of doing the ranking they are the ones that vote the national committee member chairs that region but they're not a voting member of that region so they don't vote who, what the ranking is or anything like that their job is to drive the rack meetings and um, try to get the rack members to you know figure out how to rank together. Um, not thinking necessarily of their school or, or their conference but of the region as a whole and the strength of the region and so our job as the national committee is to look at those six regional rankings when they come to us and say okay have all do are all the regions looking at the primary criteria and the second criteria the exact same way <laughs> every once in a while a ranking will come to us and and we'll see that and you'll say well Wait a minute, this doesn't follow the primary criteria. Yeah. And when we look at this and when we break it down and that's you know it's, it's the job of that national member right from that region to try to explain what their process was or what they were thinking. But at the end of the day, the members can vote, however the members want to vote. Those RAC members can vote however they'd like. And when that ranking comes in, if it doesn't if it's not consistent with what the criteria is, then we might have to look at that and change it.
0: And then so the question is, of course, that the criteria don't prioritize whether winning percentage is more important or strength of schedule is more important or results against regionally ranked opponents or head-to-head or common opponents, if any of those are more important than the rest. So you could still get a regional ranking to you guys that is valid by everything that
2: you just described, but is different looking than the rest, right? Right, and that's the consistency part, right? We we need it at the end of the day, when it looks when we look across the country, when we look at the, the 32 teams that are in the playoffs, or when we look at everybody who's ranked one through eight in all the different regions, mm-hmm. is it consistent? Can you go, can you drop into one to the other, and is everybody remaining consistent, are the regions ranking consistently are they looking at a whole right at the primary criteria as a whole rather than focusing on one criteria sometimes you know are they are they looking at the secondary criteria well you don't even need to go to that if the primary criteria doesn't you know holds up and things like that and so that's consistency is the word so for example i'm going to
0: throw out a hypothetical here say you get a regional ranking from oh let's say region four that is primarily ordered by winning percentage first and only then uh, does it really acknowledge strength of schedule. And then that looks different on the page compared to Region 3, Region 2, 5, 6, 1, et cetera. That, that is something that you would think the National Committee would step in on, right?
2: That I would think so. I would think, again, if it, if it looks different, if their ranking looks different as we're talking through them, because we spend a lot of time talking through those, right? Each week leading up to the final playoffs, you know, and that's that's one of the things as we do a mock ranking, as we do a rank, first ranking, as we do the second ranking, and then there's that final ranking. As we're looking at each of these, that's where you start to see like, okay, are there discrepancies? Are they doing this differently? And that's that's one of the nice reasons why, you know, like this week we're, they'll be doing the mock rankings, right? right. Next week is the ranking first uh, published ranking and things like that. The nice part about having those opportunities is we can start to see, okay, are the regions being consistent? Are people voting consistently? Are they looking at the right criteria? Do we need to talk to, to Iraq and say, hey, you guys might be focusing a little bit more too much on this. We need to make sure we're looking at this as a whole. I like that. And I am just gonna say, first off, if you need someone to
0: look over a mock ranking and give you feedback, <laughs> I'm available. I can make myself available. Oh. Uh, secondly, um, My pointing out of Region 4 was not purely a hypothetical, so it's uh, something that I think people have noticed over the course of the last several years, so uh, we'll keep that in mind. All right. so that's the first of checking things against how they've run in the past, right? Sometimes we hear that the National Committee does not have the ability to or does not want to, and what I would uh, you know, just say to those people is that the word, the letter A in RAC is advisory. It's a regional advisory committee. And you guys at the national committee level have the power to do what
2: you need to do. Right. Sounds like you agree. So that's good. I would, I would agree with you. And really, I mean, at the end of the day, we, we want it to look the same across the country and we want to have the best tournament that we can have as we go through that.
0: All right. Next kind of ground rule check in the past, we had been told kind of by Uh, committee members across sports, not just in football, and over the course of, frankly, more than 15 years, maybe even 20 years, that the the wording in the criteria that say results is meant to be open to interpretation, that it's not just simply a readout of did Team X beat Team Y, and it's not just a binary one or zero, but that the way in which a game was won might be considered. So that if Team A beats Team B, 14 to 12 or whatever and then team c beats team b 37 to 3 that that might be a significant difference that might be considered and then last year we were told no that's not the way it happens so we're just looking to know again what's the baseline we're starting from here in
2: 23. So just reading right from the criteria division three head-to-head results it's a win's a win.
0: Any win is any win. So when we and I, I say this and I know Boy, I know from looking at our top 25 voting and the AFCA top 25 voting, coaches definitely feel that, right? right. I get that. Um, but there's no room, since we have so little data, right? We only have 10 games. Some people only have one non-conference. Oh, some people don't have any non-conference Zero. games. Right. We'll come up to that uh, later. But you know we have so little data to, to, to draw from, the difference between one team's win and another team's
2: win, that isn't something we can consider? It's supposed to be a win's a win as you're going through that. A result, head-to-head result is a head-to-head result. Because it doesn't say win-loss percentage against
0: right. teams, it says results. Right. Results was written vaguely for a reason.
2: Well, and I think it's, it's, it allows you that ability. Again, there's not just one criteria. Right. right. When we look at that criteria, People get stuck on that, right? Or if somebody gets stuck ol- on it,
0: and that's not the only criteria that says results, right? No,
2: no, and some of it has results in that, right? Results yeah. versus common opponents, results yeah. versus head-to-head opponents. Those are all the things that create that SOS and all these different things. Yeah. But again, that it, if you bog down on a certain thing. You're going to bog down on it and that's going to impact what you're doing and that's again why we we ask the rack to look at it as a whole right look at it as not ranking oh this matters more than this or this matters more than that but what does it look like look at the primary criteria as a whole and look at the body of work with that
0: all right well, it's at least the important thing is we know where we're starting from <laughs> i don't think a lot of people agree with that but no i, know I think
2: yeah
0: <laughs> all right uh, results against regionally ranked opponents. Does it matter where the opponent was ranked? Like I, we have heard people talk to us about, you know, this team is two and one against regionally ranked opponents. But that's not as that's not as much information as saying, well, this team lost to the number one team in the region, beat the number four, and then beat the number five in another region.
2: Yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't uh, vary based on what their rank was. It, from the criteria standpoint, from that standpoint. It's uh, are they a regionally ranked opponent? Wow. Okay. I feel like we are intentionally
0: looking away from a bunch of data that could help, right?
2: Yeah, that's a, that's your feeling, Pat.
0: <laughs> I understand that. I am. Uh, I okay. All right. Moving on. Yep. Uh Another thing on the list. We're not going to go back and reevaluate data during the playoffs, right? I'm asking this as a leading question, Can't obviously. Explain it. Yeah. So, like. The talk was a couple years ago when North Central was sent to Mount Union in the national semifinals. It was because somebody had gone back and rerun numbers based on playoff games that had happened as well. So you're looking at a person's or a team's 12 or 13 game resume. In that case, North Central didn't have a win in the first round because they were playing Carnegie Mellon, who had to bow out because of positive COVID tests, right? I know I'm getting way down in the weeds on this yeah. specific, but when we're talking about when you get out to the national semifinal stage, right? Where you no longer have your established pecking order within your bracket, right? And you have to compare a team from one bracket versus team from another. Right. We're not going back and rerunning numbers based on the playoff games, right?
2: Not to my knowledge, no. Okay.
0: That's good. I mean, it sounded like that was a thing that happened once and shouldn't happen again. But uh, you know, I just figure these are on the things that I have to ask because of previous committees. All right. Um, I think maybe there's one more kind of baseline question. And you kind of alluded to it. You mentioned ranking one through eight in each region.
2: Is that is it eight in each region? Is that what we're expecting this year? Yeah, I believe so. I believe it's eight. So I think there, you know, I don't want to say it off the top of my head. Is there one that has seven in it? There or might one be that one. has nine or something? Yeah, I don't think I don't region think. Region two is has, pretty big, right? Right. Region two is pretty big. I think we still hold to that one through eight typically as we're ranking through.
0: Okay. I know as people go through, it's like, it's supposed to be twenty percent of the region, or something like that, right. is represented in the regional ranking. Yeah,
2: and I think it's pretty close with that plus or minus on that.
0: All right. Okay, we're through the. I don't know if those are the hard questions or not. but <laughs> These are the the points of contention that there you people go. have had. Let's no, I,
2: I see them all the time, and I'm, I'm I think I think one of the things um, that's why I appreciate this is I think when you understand it, and you know, even getting on the national committee, you really start to understand. Or when somebody's a rack member and they they start when you start to understand the process it really i want to say it makes more sense right as a if you're a fan of a team you might still hold to well that doesn't make sense but it if you really look back it's been fairly consistent on, on what we've looked at um in order to determine you know playoff teams
0: and i know we've heard from coaches and we've seen it happen right a coach gets onto a rack in whatever sport and then you know, over the course of the next couple years, their scheduling philosophy changes too, right. as they see how the teams that they choose to play in the non-conference schedule 100%. affect what their SOS looks like.
2: In that right. hundred percent. That's a big impact.
0: Man, Greg, I tried to make my point. I tried to make my point in multiple ways, leaving data on the table, not considering things that might be helpful in terms of trying to separate teams from one another, separate very, you know, very close resumes the first half of this conversation, and there will be more, but the
1: first half of this conversation leaves me a little concerned. Yeah, we've got 10 games. Every team plays 10 games, some not quite 10 games. And that's just not a lot of information to go on. And when you take away things like the sort of nuance that you can get from considering results versus ranked opponents or results versus common opponents. When you wipe that out and just say a win is a win and how you got there, one point, 15 points, 40 points. 91 points. If those margins are not important, um, you really obliterate some meaningful data and some data that you can use to select teams that are maybe more worthy of inclusion in the tournament than others. We also heard from Matt Moore that Any win or any result against a ranked team is the same as a result against any other ranked team. So if you beat a regionally ranked team number two, it's the same as if you beat a regionally ranked team number seven. and Or apparently number eight. Or eight as well. And I think we know that there's often a significant difference between a team ranked first or second in a region and a team ranked seventh or eighth in a region. So um, yeah, there's, there's definitely some data that we're missing out on by painting everything with such a broad brush. Moore talked about the number of teams ranked in each region. He
0: was not consulting notes in front of him to come up with that number. And I just want to clarify that. But if you go through and just kind of do the math, Now that Region 2 has all of the landmark conference teams in it, whereas in previous years they were split among multiple conferences, a few of them were in Region 2. Now you have 47 teams in Region 2. Region 2 ought to have nine teams ranked. Region 1 ought to have eight. This is if you go by what is supposed to be the standard in that there is one regional ranking spot for every 20% or one out of every five schools in the region There should be eight teams ranked in region one, five and six. I'm going generous and rounding up. I think that's probably what would happen. Uh, Region three and four should have seven teams ranked. Region two should have nine teams ranked. And that's a big difference, right? And we're talking about maybe the at-large candidacy of a Carnegie Mellon. If nine teams in the two get ranked and there's room for say Washington and Jefferson at eight and two, that makes a
1: difference. It really does. And A team like CMU has really got to rely on as many pack teams getting ranked as possible. We're going to hear more about that a little bit later from Matt Moore. But I find it interesting that we're expanding the number of ranked teams. I I remember conversation when we went to six regions, were we going to keep ranking 10 teams and oh, that that would be too many. We would be ranking too many teams and we would be giving credit to teams for winning games against what we now are comfortable saying are mediocre teams that would be ranked 10th across six regions here, the layout that you given. And I don't know if that is an accurate depiction of what we're going to see next week, but we're up to that's 47 teams ranked. And so that's, we're ranking 47 teams previously in the four, in the four region system, we were ranking 40 teams. So slowly expanding the number of teams that we're ranking and getting out to that area. Where are we, are we giving credit to teams for beating teams that maybe ought not be ranked?
0: Yeah. The basketball folks find some usefulness in delineating record or results against teams in the upper half of a regional ranking and in the bottom half of a regional ranking. So in a team region, obviously, you know, results against teams one through four, as opposed to teams five through eight, there might be a significant difference in the quality of those teams. Of course, there's also many more games in basketball and many more non-conference opportunities for that data to be used. But at least we're not talking about using the data the wrong way, right? I feel like we can finally put to rest the debacle of 2021 when they went back and re-ranked teams after the playoffs had started
1: yes that was curious when it happened to say the least and every year after where we've been told emphatically no we are not re-ranking teams or re-racking the numbers as the playoff rounds go by the more the 2021 north central mount union thing looks looks weird it looks weirder every year i'm glad that we have clarity that that's not How the committee is going to operate in this postseason and hopefully not in any postseasons going forward. Meanwhile, just having the conversation about how to evaluate
0: multiple criteria at the same time, right? That is something that is kind of difficult to wrap your brains around sometimes.
1: It is. So we have all of the all of the primary criteria. We have win percentage, strength of schedule, results versus ranked opponents, head-to-head results, results against common opponents and so all of those things are all the primary criteria and they are not to be weighted in any particular way but that kind of goes against everybody's natural instinct to want to work through a checklist and so it's it's difficult to stop yourself from placing weight on the criteria but you have to you have to evaluate all of it at the same time and when you do that you open yourself up to maybe some things that look inconsistent where you might have in one round of selection a committee might take a team off the board that has an eight and two record but a superior strength of schedule and superior results against ranked opponents and then in the next round they might go for a nine and one team that has a lower strength of schedule given some other options on the board and It can look inconsistent, but it's an evaluation of the entire picture. Seems like that's a question we should ask coming up in a little bit.
0: We talked about this, uh, or we alluded to this already. This is something the committee hasn't had to deal with in almost a quarter of a century, but now we have a conference that has no non-conference games, right? Right. So you've got someone who's not going to have any results against common opponents, basically with anybody else on the board other than their own conference standings. And everybody's SOS is going to be flattened to just about 500. Right. I know you guys haven't done a mock ranking yet, right? But right. what do you? What is that perspective as a committee member when you're looking at that kind of uh, data? I well, guess.
2: Well, I think the big thing is okay. Um, I, I don't know a great way to answer it. You know, you you the conference you put your conference in a bind when you don't play outside the conference you know and that's and it's not the conference's fault sometimes right it's not the the teams that are competing in that conference that's not their that's not their fault because the reality is teams that have Strong SOSs and are able to play outside of that. Other strong SOSs can build that up, right? Yeah. We see that when a team might have a championship or something like that, it it continues to build that SOS as you go. Yeah. And so some teams are locked within that, and so um, I, then you're really at um, not the mercy, but you really need to make sure what you're putting out there, um, the quality of your wins and things like that as you're going. That that that's going to matter when you if you want to make a run at an at-large bid, you know. The thing I like to tell people is, you know, if you win your conference, it, it, it takes care of itself with that AQ, right? It does, especially this year, it seems, right? 100%. Yeah. That's, well, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So there's if a not, jumble occurring.
0: Right. If not 100%, 87.5%, uh, right? That's it. That's yeah. it. Yep. We were talking about uh, how Iraq should order things up. And one of the things that is always kind of this conundrum is, like, if you're a member of a regional advisory committee, is your best bet to rank the teams based on where they stack up in the region or to be playing three-dimensional chess look ahead and say this is our top at large candidate uh or should this be our top at large candidate who is going to perform better when they're on the board with the other five at large candidates you know what i mean
2: yeah no i i understand what you're saying i what i the advice i would give and again so for like Region Six, I chair Region Six. I'm right. not a voting member of the RAC, right? But yep. I get to walk them through. And the advice I give them is: let's rank rank the the teams in our region the way we believe that they are from a strength. And for us, that the at large part has been taken care of be, because of that. Because really, if you try to kind of game the system, you're really you're probably going to put yourself in a bad position because that team that you wanted to get the at-large bid for you can't even get to because you can't get past the other team. And so what's the strongest team that you have? Put your strongest teams on there, one through eight, and let's make sure we rank them accordingly and and it'll get taken care of from that process. I think in the six that
0: makes sense, right? I think the six is pretty, it's not easy per se. Right. Um, especially with you know, a bunch of top teams playing each other even in non-conference games, but people understand, I think, when they look at the resume of a team in the six on the board, right. and it makes sense to them nationally. Whereas, again, I'm pulling out a hypothetical, but I think it's something that's probably happened in the past, in the three, if you put Harden simmons in that spot, and in the past, you know, sometimes Harden simmons hasn't had a D3 non-conference game, right. anything like that to really draw And Sometimes they act as a blocker to people that are below them in the three, right? right. So, if Harden simmons was at the top of the three, and then someone like, I'm mixing my metaphors or I'm right. mixing my hypotheticals, but this year someone like Barry sitting underneath them might
2: never get to the board and might never get a chance to right. be discussed. Right, and that's that's why it's so important that their, their rack does a good job of looking at that primary criteria and the secondary criteria and ranking them correctly because you wanna get the strongest team that you can. Um, you know, you want your bid, right? that fir- That first team off the board you want them to be the strongest team in your region, so that you have a chance, especially a year like this year, where we only have the four at-large bids. You know, as right. those as those dwindle, they become more and more valuable. You know, and so you look at, um, you know, there's six regions. You're guaranteed that there's two regions that aren't going to get an at-large bid at least, at least, right? Yeah. And then you know, that's also with the possibility that a region might get more than one. So you want to make sure you do a good job of ranking because of that. We're going to go to the (laughs) mailbag.
1: Your categories have become tiresome. You've got mail. Tiresome.
0: All right. I have a question here from Trevor Castle, voice of the Dutch, who says, in essence, and this came to us on X over the course of the weekend, would you expect the committee to value head-to-head or the better strength of schedule and results against regionally ranked opponents when you're looking at a resume. And I'm going to assume in the course of this uh, hypothetical that we're probably talking about teams that have the same winning percentage or at least same number of losses.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, again, all three of the things that he just mentioned are primary criteria. Right. And so you're like, I would say you're you're. The goal is not to value one above the other, but to look at the collective work of that, right, and say, okay, which one, which one has the most of it, um, or which one has, which team has, you know, has more of that criteria, and then if it's close, then you start to look at, okay, how close is it? What's what's what are we talking percentage wise? Close? Do we need to get to the secondary criteria? What's considered close? I don't know. You know, I I, I don't know that there would be a valued number to do it. You know. Um, within a region that each people I, I would say probably each region is probably looking at that a little bit differently and trying to decide like okay this is this is big enough that we need to look at the next criteria
0: yeah I mean the basic crux of this question is things that that we see all the time right it's a the team that is nine and one with right. a 520 SOS or something like that against a team that's eight and two with a 590 or something like that right two extremes at one end of the other and nobody knows how to weigh those
2: and that's why i think it's so valuable that when when we say hey it's not just your schedule it's not just your sos it's not just your head-to-head opponents and and your results versus that it's the collective work of it because if someone were to say okay it's just your it's just your record okay now they're gonna who are they gonna try to play but it's your record with the sos with their you know sos and all these things
0: We've seen, you know, twenty plus years of this, right? And sometimes the committee values winning percentage and sometimes the committee values an eight and two team with better SOS. And in the in recent years it's swung back to I don't know if it's even swung back. It's swung to, maybe for the first time on a consistent basis, the chance for an eight and two team with a tremendous SOS to get in. You're a head coach. You schedule this way. I think you look like you schedule this way, like you played River Falls. You played Hope. These are teams that are big challenge for someone out of the UMAC. They are strengthening your schedule. Do you feel like, um, you know, do you feel like that's the, does the committee have a duty, I think, to uphold? I'm not asking this question really well, and I'm going to edit it. So just so you know, but it has led us to this point where we have a lot of teams now playing high-powered non-conference games with each other and that's not just obviously a result of the way the selections have gone it's also a result of teams just not wanting to schedule right. some powerful teams right? right right we get that and they're playing each other and the committee has rewarded them for it right. and do
2: you think that the committee continues to reward them for it going forward well i think i don't know that it's the committee deal as much as i think i think teams have recognized that the strength of schedule matters And that's a and that that's a big deal. Now, some of what you've talked about there, yeah, there's teams that nobody wants to play this team, you know, team A and nobody wants to play team B. So they're Mm -hmm. like, okay, we better play each other. I think it's made for some great matchups in the preseason Division three football, sometimes maybe even some playoff, you know, caliber games that we think, you know, whether they're quarterfinal games. So I think that's um, really valid. But. I think teams have realized that that SOS matters and that if you have an opportunity, especially if you're in a conference that maybe isn't gonna be as strong or isn't going to be as looked at as strong, if you have an opportunity to raise your strength of schedule by playing a top caliber team, um, is, that, is it better to lose to a top team than to beat somebody who's gonna lower your schedule?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you said coaches have realized that strength of schedule matters, but strength of schedule only matters if the committee Makes it matter, right? Right. Like the committee could go back to where we were, um, you know, any of a number of years ago. Frankly, the entire 2010s, um, practically, and say. You know, SOS is not as important as going nine and one. So that, I mean, that is really the reason why I asked the question is because SOS matters as long as you guys make it matter.
2: Right. And I can't speak to the earlier, right? I can only speak to my four years and what we've looked at and things like that. And it's, it's a primary criteria. And so it's kind of one of those deals where it's like, it's something that, that we look at.
0: Yeah. All right. This is your year as national chair. It's a big deal, and it's a big year, right? I mean, we've got a, a big celebration. We've got Stag Bowl 50 coming up. Yep. The Stag Bowl is going back to Salem, Virginia, where it was home for
2: half of its lifetime, yes.
0: literally. What can we look forward to? What are you looking forward to here during the course of that?
2: Well, I think I think Salem as a host city is unbelievable. I think what they do, they care about NCAA athletics. They really care about NCAA Division three. Um, They take a lot of pride in in hosting championships. I believe when we get there for football, we will be the 102nd championship that Salem has hosted. They'll have just hosted. um, Women's soccer,
0: I think, is 100. That's going to go on. Yeah, I
2: think men's and women's soccer will both be before us. I think we end up being 102. I think football ends up being 102. So I'm really excited about that. I'm really, you know, it, it was great getting to site visit and and be around the people of Salem and what they have and, and they take a lot of pride in getting to host it. So it'll be exciting.
0: I know that I guess if I do the math on your four years on the committee, that means you haven't been to a Salem stag bowl, right? Correct, correct. Yep. Well, I'm gonna ask you a question you may not know the answer to. What okay. is new? What are we looking forward to? What do we see?
2: Uh, I don't you know I don't know the answer to that. I don't know that there's anything new there in Salem for what they're doing. Um, certainly going to try to do um, as great a job as you know, the last couple of cities have done as far as hosting and just making um, you know, teams feel like it's a championship deal. I think, I think the, the way that Salem is preparing to treat those teams that are coming in from decorating hotels yeah. to um, you know, practice sites to celebrating you know, other chairs that have been there and right. the NCAA that have come in. I think what they try to do from the locker room standpoint, things like that, I think I'm excited to see how they do that. And we're in this
0: situation where because we didn't have a stag bowl in 2020, like the whole rotation's kind of fouled up, right? Right. We should have had two years in a row for Canton to, you know, one, learn from year one and perform better in year two. And so now their year two isn't until 2024 or something like that?
2: 2025. 2025, yeah, yes. 2025.
0: I mean, this is this puts a lot of, uh, I would say it puts a lot of pressure on you guys as a committee. I know that um, last year, uh, the folks who ran the tournament in Annapolis, who ran the Stag Bowl in Annapolis, reached out to me and said, we would love to have you come do a site visit and tell us all the things that you know from 20-whatever-Stag Bowls that we don't know. And you guys have to now be the bearer of that information whereas when it was in salem forever and forever and forever they always knew the stuff
2: right right that's i think that's a big i think that was maybe a learning curve as it left salem yeah. the people of salem and again they own it right they love you know they, hosting they built it they turned it yes. into
0: they turned the saddle into what it is
2: 100 percent, and i think they're really excited about having it back and um i'm glad it's there for the 50th it's a, it's a fantastic deal but um, I think that's part of as sites are putting in bids and they're figuring those things out. And I think even as the NCAA and the committee and things understand like, okay, here's things we need to make sure, you know, we know Salem d- did this. We just kind of trusted this would get done, um, but that's it's just not natural. Salem was doing this cause, because of their customer service.
0: I saw an early version of your guys' schedule that, I'm talking about Northwestern now. Yes. where you guys had a game at morris which you still do in the final week that kicked off at like five o'clock or something local time right yeah and i was looking at that a couple weeks ago and thinking we're not going to get started on this process (laughs) until 9 10 11 o'clock at night when the bus gets back for morris and then i re uh, i looked back at the the uh, schedule on the team website i see it's rescheduled to one o'clock so that's that's good
2: yeah yeah absolutely yeah we that that um night for those who don't know that last week of competition, the the racks really they start rolling as soon as games end. Yeah. So um, I think my first year, three years ago, or I mean I was on a I was on the phone, you know, on a bus on the way home, um, doing the call and things like that. And so your racks start rolling right away to get that final ranking in, <clears throat> and then we as a national committee try to get as as racks are finishing up, we're we're trying to get meeting and then. We might have to wait, like, again, Region 6, where we have teams from California. So we know even with noon and 1 o'clock kickoffs, that's going to be 3 o'clock Central, 4 o'clock Eastern time. We're going to be coming back to try to um, re-vote or check out regions, you know, as it happens. You guys are doing a mock ranking this week, and then you're doing two public rankings
0: that we'll all see. Um, During the course of those public rankings, are people also, like, going then all the way through... A bracketing process? Are you guys picking mock pool C teams and plugging in things to see where they might go to make your process on Saturday no easier?
2: There's I, there's so many moving parts with that. We just we we're just doing the it's just that ranking process as we're going through. I think I you know we talked about it earlier. The biggest thing that we at the national level are doing as these as the mock ranking comes in as the the first you know published ranking and then then the then the ordered ranking right because the first rank published ranking is alphabetical, right? The second one is actually numbered. Oh gosh, numbered. I forgot about so, this. So I figured you would end try- up asking me something uh, about it. I
0: was trying to I was trying to block out the yeah. alphabetical no, ranking. No, the alphabetical one comes Ugh. first,
2: but that's the gosh. the biggest thing that we're doing at a national level again is is there consistency across all the regions? Does it look like everybody is looking at the criteria the way that they're supposed to be doing that? And that's really all we're doing at that time,
0: right? Because in essence, we get one less ranking, right, than we did a couple years ago. It's really like
2: it's like you guys should be doing the alphabetical ranking this week. In theory, in theory, yes, yeah. If you look at like, I think basketball does the same number of weeks, but same deal, right? Where yeah. you, nobody just nobody sees that first ranking yeah. to see what it actually is. Um, We get to blame basketball
0: for this alphabetical ranking in the first place. This was their idea.
2: They started it. Yep. They wanted it.
0: Oh, no worries. We give them plenty of grief every time (laughs) alphabetical (laughs) ranking comes up. I really had completely forgotten about alphabetical ranking. I've got half a page of notes here, and alphabetical ranking is not even on it. Glad I could bring it up. Oh, thanks. Definitely appreciate it. All right. How can we get that fixed?
2: Yeah. Like, obviously, I don't, not, like, what would be a process for changing you know, this? The right. one thing I would say, Pat, is I think the first time that came out, a lot of people um, were thinking, this is ridiculous. Why, why are we doing this and things like that? I will tell you, I think it gives the racks and people that one extra week to make sure they're getting the order. You know, People aren't losing their minds about the order yeah. as much as they're losing their minds if they're not in the one through eight kind of deal. And so I don't think it's all bad. But I understand people want to know. They, you know, they want to know, are we in the mix here? Do we have a chance? Yeah. Are we the first one? You know, where are we? So I get both sides of it. Yeah. And to, for the listeners who don't
0: know, like the value, there is value in an alphabetical ranking, right? Right. One of the criteria that we've talked about is results against regionally ranked opponents. And you essentially don't have that the first time you have a numerical ranking if you just jump right to numbers right Right, right. at least in this case you take that alphabetical ranking and then that is the basis of next week's results against regionally ranked opponents it's like that's always on a a one week lag
2: right exactly
0: yeah I get that there's the value in it I just would
2: be perfectly happy if it were a week earlier I think you're probably in the majority with that
0: I don't have any other questions on my list. Do you have anything that we should uh, that we sh- that the listeners should know about? Anything else that we should talk about?
2: I think um, what I would tell you is I think the big thing that people need to look at that's looking at in the future, right? This isn't something that's happening right now. Is pairwise? Oh it's, gosh, is the ranking? That's a whole deal. other conversation, that's, right? That, right, that's a whole big monster.
0: I see the pairwise mock-ups come out, and they don't seem to make a whole lot of sense. Like, so pairwise makes some sense in ice hockey right it's an ice hockey thing it's developed for that there's i guess at the d1 level anyway enough interplay cross country in hockey and enough non-conference games for pairwise to make sense my understanding is that pairwise really uh relies on having a bunch of connected non-conference games right
2: it it can uh, the big part about pairwise is sports because it's i mean ncaa is looking at it across the board right this is not a a football deal or a basketball deal or hockey or even a division three no, deal, exactly. This, yeah. but um, sports will be able to figure out what the criteria will be for that. So it'll be, it's not something that I think is going to be dropped right onto a sport or dropped right on onto division three athletics in one false swoop, you know, right away. It's going to be something that will probably be worked. In conjunction with racks and with national committees and they'll develop what they want the criteria to be so you know as you're talking about across the country all these things probably not going to be a big monster in division three right. right
0: right right and for people and i am not the math guy we don't have a math guy on the podcast. Right. We would go to Logan Hansen for this question, and we have in the past. But for people to understand, from my understanding anyway, pairwise is not a criteria on its own. Correct. It is a method in which a committee can use uh, can choose to apply a set of criteria that it chooses
2: right it, it'll it create the criteria and then it's the old bcs right it's it's the old oh, that's not you know, <laughs> that's not
0: helpful at yeah. all nobody's <laughs> going to be happy hopefully about more that.
2: understanding but it's a way to rank all the opponents right it's a it's yeah. a way to rank opponents um and take the human error out of it hopefully <laughs> big hope
0: i caught the hopefully there. yeah there you go One more question that came in from a reader, which is something that we've already answered, but it'd be good to have your guys' take on it as well. Since this happens all the time in basketball, but it doesn't happen in football so much, that you have a championship game and or a tournament that leads up to it. So in the instance of the MIAC, it's certainly a possibility that the team that has the best at-large credentials is not going to even be playing in that championship game. But just so we all understand, like you guys are not bound by... A conference runner-up being the team who loses in that championship game, and then having the you know the automatic pecking order ahead of another Correct. team. Correct. Right? That's
2: where that that's where the rack ranking comes into play, right? Because um, theoretically, if a team has a great at-large or they have the great um, criteria from a national standpoint, then they should be ranked in the rack higher than somebody else. Right. The rack is
0: concerned with all of the games. Correct. At the very least, all the Division three games. Correct. And certainly all the games, not just the conference games and not just the conference division games or Correct. the conference championship game. Yeah. Correct. 100%. I, I talked about something twice in the first half of this interview, and now I'm, I'm going to reiterate the thing that I talked about that I think is the most important thing to consider in this half of the interview. If strength of schedule is important, then the committee has to demonstrate that each and every year. You cannot take a year off... You cannot have a year where we're just going to take all the 9-1 and one teams because a win is a win is a win. We have to do this consistently because coaches have made scheduling changes based on this, and frankly, it's made Division Three football better, and I could soapbox about this for another five minutes. I don't want to go off on a rant here, so I will just yield the floor to the gentleman from Los Angeles.
1: So, yeah, you, you can remember not that long ago where we were – every year we would wonder is this a, is this a strength of schedule year or is this a win percentage year and it it would flip-flop back and forth and there's no consistency to it coaches can't schedule in a way where they take into consideration building a a profile for at large selection if need be like you said in the interview pat we seem to be in a spot where we are more consistently rewarding teams that have high strengths of schedule and maybe have picked up a second loss. We called last year the best regular season we've ever seen. And a lot of that had to do with the out of conference matchups and the games we got in September between high ranked teams going out, playing each other, playing high level elite division three football in September. And we saw a lot of those teams get into the postseason, even with a second loss, Bethel Wheaton, are two of those teams we saw st john's was the number one overall seed in the tournament last year despite having lost a game so you know i think it's good to reward that behavior we want to see more of it we saw johns hopkins and ithaca play this year so we're seeing that seeking out top level games that's sort of expanding beyond just the islands and and region six where competition can be tough to come by for some schools then I think we want to continue to see that expand. It's been it's been great for division three. When I posed Trevor Castle's
0: question, we talked about it in the you know, the high level form, but here's the full text of the question and maybe we can tackle the rest of it. So first off, kudos to you right away, Greg. He says, Greg kind of addressed this in the mailbag column, but never fully gave his opinion. Would you expect the committee to value a head-to-head victory or the better SOS slash results against ranked opponents? thinking about a possible central Wartburg scenario or lacrosse uwW
1: yeah first of all thanks to Trevor Castle for reading ATn always like to get that feedback from people reading the column this is an interesting situation and I think it's two very different situations so we're we're hypothesizing that central beats Wartburg this weekend right
0: I think for this to be a valid hypothetical we have to come with that as a baseline sure
1: so if we look at the the criteria where they are, Wartburg currently has the 56th strength of schedule. They have beat Bethel, who I expect to be regionally ranked. They have beat Co., who could be regionally ranked. It wouldn't be odd if they were. Co being regionally ranked or not is, is not super important to what we're talking about. Central has also played Co. They lost to Co. So that's a, that's a situation where the result against the common opponent is different. Wartburg has a higher strength of schedule. Central is 112th currently. Which will go up when they play Wartburg this week, of course. And, but yeah. And Wartburg's will also rise as well. Right. So the question is, does the head-to-head over Wartburg for Central get them ranked higher? And Wartburg has a lot of advantages in the other criteria. And so this is a case where Central could beat Wartburg, and Wartburg could still be ranked higher than Central.
0: What about when you look at then whitewater and lacrosse whitewater there are so many data points for the warhawks to consider
1: yeah so wisconsin whitewater they have the second highest strength of schedule right now they beat john carroll who i expect will be regionally ranked they beat saint john's who i expect will be regionally ranked they beat river falls who i expect will be regionally ranked they have other possible ranked teams teams that are on the fringe of being regionally ranked i think uh, mary hart and baylor Platt, and Platville are two of those teams They could, you know, they could have as many as five results against regionally ranked opponents. Wisconsin lacrosse, on the other hand, they have the fourth highest strength of schedule. So their strength of schedule is also very big, but they've also. And this is out of like, this is out of 230
0: teams, just as a reminder, number two and number four in the entire country, not in the region,
1: not in the conference, not in the conversation, but in the nation of division three football. Yes. And so Wisconsin lacrosse, they they have one head to head against Whitewater. We know. But they lost the Harden Simmons, who may or may not be regionally ranked, uh, depending on how it goes for them this weekend. <laughs> right, and highly dependent on Saturday's game. Yeah, yes, I mean this question for Mary Harden Baylor also obviously. This question has a lot to uh, how how this question settles in the end might have a lot to do with what's happening in Abilene on Saturday, and lacrosse also has two wins out of division. That's secondary criteria. So here's one where I think the the strength of schedule are pretty close. Between these two, Wisconsin Whitewater's regionally ranked opponents is just overwhelming. It's a lot. Is it enough to keep them ranked ahead of Wisconsin LaCrosse? Hard to say. I think I think the other one is actually a, a more obvious choice where I think Wartburg, even if they lose to Central, would stay ranked ahead of Central. This one, I wouldn't be surprised if LaCrosse was ahead of Wisconsin Whitewater despite the other criteria. Just to give you some
0: idea of what these strength of schedule numbers are right now. And obviously, remember, of course, there are three weeks of regular season games to be played. But Whitewater's strength of schedule going into Saturday is 741. And we're talking about comparing against, you know, sometimes teams with two losses in the sixes or teams with one loss at like 540, 530, something like that. This is on the order of just gigantic big
1: numbers above. Yeah, 741, seven games into a season. 741 is when I look at this table after like the third week and the data is.
0: Which is why we don't publish it after the third week for people to see, right? That's the
1: kind of thing that you see at that point in the season. And you're like, that data doesn't make any sense. We're going to let that settle down and come back to this after seven or eight games and see what it looks like. But here we are, seven games into the season. Wisconsin-Whitewater, 741. LaCrosse, 733. These are enormous NCAA strength of schedule numbers. Number one, by the way, Ithaca, still 768. That's wild.
0: And number three is St. John's. I mean, we uh, may have written off St. John's prematurely. I don't remember if we fully wrote off St. John's when we were talking in podcast number 339. If you haven't listened to 339, if you're just now getting to the podcast feed on Thursday here, make sure that you listen to the other podcast that dropped as well. Uh, of course, we, we get you full coverage of week eight of Division Three football. But uh, yeah, I mean, St. John's not out of contention here in, I think, in any way, shape or form, frankly.
1: Not at all. St. John's with a win over Trinity, win over Bethel. These are two teams that are ranked. They have another result against a ranked team. Wisconsin Whitewater does not matter what the score of that game was, Pat, as I have learned today. Apparently, yes. Uh, they played the game, and that's what matters. And yeah, St. John's, maybe not as out of the playoffs as we thought. Interesting
0: for the folks up in Collegeville over the course of the next couple of weeks. We also talked about the President's Athletic Conference. I did not expect to get an answer. This is all purely hypothetical, but in no uncertain terms, Coach Moore said, not playing non-conference games hurts your conference. And this was something that conference coaches decided is our understanding. This was not something decided by the PAC administration, the PAC leadership. This was something that football coaches decided to vote for and do.
1: Yeah, I believe the words were, you put your conference in a bind by not playing out of conference games and sort of getting some data points intersecting with other conferences. And it does make it difficult. I think for the region Two rack, how many of those teams do you take a lot of this conversation is happening because there are two or three really good teams in the pack would be great to know how W and J would do against a pretty good team that, you know, they played John Carroll recently and and won those games. Uh, it would be great to see how Carnegie Mellon would do in a game against Whitworth or somebody like that. Again, now we just don't know. And the guessing game about how, how good is Carnegie Mellon, we have to guess. We don't know. They lost a close game to Grove City, and then there seems to be a lot of traction that Carnegie Mellon fans... Want to get from playing a super good half against North Central last year, but that that game doesn't count for 2023 purposes. It does not. It does not indeed.
0: And if you think about what we heard in the course of this conversation too, Greg, as I read the tea leaves right now, and obviously again, three weeks of games yet to be played, I feel less confident about the at-large prospects For Barry College, Barry right now, strength of schedule is 453. Again, reminded that there are three games left in the season. They are against Hendricks, Birmingham, Southern, and Rhodes. These are all teams that are around 500 or maybe slightly above 500 overall. A total of 11 and 11, which would actually raise Barry's strength of schedule most
1: likely. But that's a number that's going to be hard to overcome. That is. And this is a case where I think Barry is a very good team. I Barry is in my top 25. They're in the same division three football.com top 25. They're only in our
0: top 25, by the way. They are not in the coaches' poll.
1: I think Barry is a very good team. And I also think right now, Barry's profile is not super good for at large. And this is a case where Barry's nine and one profile with 0 and 1 versus RRO. In some years past, that would have been great uh, this year, maybe not. If the trend continues that strength of schedule is gonna matter a whole lot, Barry not having a really strong strength of schedule outside of conference is gonna is gonna come into play and, and probably negatively for them. You almost feel like if you pencil in
0: your St. John's and two Wyack runners up into the three spots, what is left? You've got six or seven teams probably for this other spot, right? You have the Johns Hopkins, Muhlenberg loser. It's more likely if it's Johns Hopkins because they have a much better strength of schedule. Muhlenberg right now, SOS is at 510. They will obviously improve by playing Johns Hopkins coming up this week. And so, of course, will Johns Hopkins. Okay, Union hanging out there. Union, 579 strength of schedule, one loss.
1: Wheaton. One loss, 572, strength of schedule. You've got a Northwest Conference runner-up, either Linfield or Whitworth, likely going to end with one loss there. Linfield's SOS right now is at 502,
0: and Whitworth's is at 453. So I think uh, the wise move would be for Whitworth to win out. No kidding, right? Go win your automatic bid. As someone in that part of the country might have said, once upon a time, leave no doubt. This thing is so tight already a little daunting and obviously a little disappointing and we talked a little bit at the top about the pipe dream of the 40 team playoff that could be coming in I don't know 25 maybe seems most realistic and then we'd be having these talks about all of those teams we just talked sure we just mentioned all of those let's put them all in put them all in folks and then you're talking about Washington and Jefferson or Augustana or marietta or you know other teams that are eight and two and deep down eight and two right they're not uh you know eight and two with st john's credentials or eight and two with lacrosse river falls credentials they are teams that would never get a sniff right now and maybe we're in the position oh and there's also probably a kick champ at some point i hope i hope i hope we get a nescaq champ to come out and play with us pat rooting rooting for nescaq I have heard mixed opinions as to whether that's actually going to get into the legislation at the NCA convention this January or not. So I don't know if we'll see it in 2024. We might see it in 2025 at the earliest.
1: That it's being talked about out loud and here by a chair of, of a championships committee is light years away from where we thought it was even maybe a year ago, though. All right, Greg, before we go, you hear the music. <coughs>
0: on the spot. Greg, I have a relatively simple on the spot for you for this weekend. Of course, we've already done on the spot in podcast 339. We don't have results for that yet. We'll talk about that in 341. But Greg, on the spot for you today, give me the attendance for UW-Platteville at UW-Whitewater on Saturday. Price is right rules.
1: Okay. Am I allowed to ask one question? Yeah, go for it. Is it deer season yet?
0: (laughs) I looked this up earlier. It's as if we uh, live and breathe this stuff, right? Uh, Of course, uh, archery and crossbow season is already open. I am not a person who's been a hunter over the course of his life, but I think that uh, deer season does not open until November 18th.
1: All right. Valuable information, Pat. I'm going to go with. Announced paid attendance at Perkins Stadium this weekend, 10,212. That doesn't even make our top 40 or whatever
0: list. Like the floor now for the all-time leading attendance page that we manage on D3Football.com is 11,000 people. We just think about the magnitude for a moment of what's gone on in Whitewater this season. You know, obviously the number of home games they've played so far this year is only three that they had, you know, the, a week against St. John's back in September, where they had a attendance of 15,236. We talked about the more than 20,000 that they had for that epic game against UW Lacrosse. They played stout at home this past weekend. This is a game that is going to have the little bit of extra. George Chris Memorial Bowl have the axe. Frankly, remember Whitewater doesn't even have the axe right now. Platville quite famously took it back from them in podcast three sixteen. Oh, I mean, actually, in a game that was played on the field, they didn't take it away during the podcast. But I think uh, you know these little extra things. That's a bigger rivalry. It's not as big as Oshkosh, right? It's not as big as lacrosse right now. That um, they only had seventy four hundred and forty at home against Stout. This past Saturday, so maybe your ten thousand
1: is uh, a little closer to reality. There's only one way to find out, Pat, and that is to tune in to Around the Nation episode 341. That is a homecoming
0: and Hall of Fame day in uh, Perkins Stadium in Whitewater, Wisconsin.
1: I will go fourteen one thirty seven. Given the new information that has come to light, I feel I feel very good that I'm not over.
0: Greg is now going to come back around as long as we're doing prices right. And he's going to bid 14138 And that was the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Number 340 released on October 26th of 2023. Thanks for listening and keep an eye out for continuing coverage. Oh, Greg, I'm going to interrupt credits defense week. So far, we've got uh, a number of features already on the website. I know you're talking with Rossi Moore of Mountain Union in between when we record this and when it drops. Frankly, it's going to be a double shot of around the nation on Thursday. We're going to drop your column and we're going to drop a podcast.
1: Gently, though. We don't want to break anything.
0: Yeah, we're very thankful for the support of our monthly Patreon subscribers and you can join them or learn more about it by visiting patreon.com/d3sports. And if you can't afford to support us in a financial way, you can help us out by telling a friend, tell a classmate, tell a fellow alum about the show. You can even tell the people who run the Barstool Twitter account for your campus. We don't care. You can give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts if you're so inclined. That helps other people find the show. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on X. Use that D3FB hashtag. Goodness knows you can reach us to talk about Division Three football by commenting on the Top 25 poll directly on the website. And we love rehashing the same thing over and over the next time another parent of a Division Three football player discovers our poll and the fact that you can comment on it. Anyway, we have a message board devoted to Division Three Sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering a post on D3Boards.com, and you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is Patrick Coleman. It's written by Patrick Coleman and Greg Thomas. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh and Damara O'Malley. Our theme music is Power 2 by DJ Mentos. We use more of his tracks as well. You can find them at DJMentos.com as well as on Spotify. You can find us on Spotify. Thanks to Matt Moore for joining us. Thanks for sitting down and being open with us. Keith McMillan, of course, was the OG host, the originator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com. And Greg, thank you. Thank you for co-hosting. Thank you for writing. Thank you for doing a lot of scoreboard stuff on Saturday, let's be honest. Thank you for running quick hits and all the... I got to do quick hits. Shoot.
2: Sorry, you stayed to the end of the podcast this week and there's no cool bonus
1: anything. Next week, though. I mean, I could go get that trombone.